Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense, Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, we'll go back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score that would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History, and it's my memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Broadcasting and Podcasting Network. In conjunction with Slick Enterprises, we're live from the Southport, North Carolina home of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'm Bob Swick, editor and publisher of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon 150-plus years of football history since its inception in 1869. We cover that and much, much more each issue. If you're not a subscriber, now's the time to subscribe. GridironGreatsMagazine.com. Follow us there and subscribe there also. It's at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and Seahawk items, in particular, Steve Logan. Yes! <laughs> From Portland, Oregon, Mr. Joe Squares. Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Uh, Bob, great to be back. We've both had great uh, great trips in between shows. I, uh, I uh, toured former Eastern Bloc countries from Prague, Czech Republic, <laughs> Ending up, ending up in Budapest, Hungary. And just to recap real quickly, three days, two nights in Prague. From Prague, we were driven to Regensburg, Germany, Regensburg, Germany, to Passau, Germany, to Durstein, Austria, to Melk, Austria, to Vienna, Austria, Bratislava, Slovakia, and then ending up in Budapest, flying out of Budapest, back to Paris, back to Raleigh, and home. 
and snapped their fingers. Twelve days went by very quickly. Great vacation, man. What a great time. Nailed all the accents, no too, was, by the way. Yeah. No football Anybody was in, uh, in 12 days, either. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody in Prague uh, comment on your Bart Starr jersey you wore around? No, no. I, I, I was very incognito the entire uh, vacation. <laughs> uh, I only, only a couple of uh, people that I talked to, I, I went on about the magazine, and uh, pretty interesting reactions uh but uh i i found very interesting germany uh has a pretty strong football league there uh there's between 12 and 16 teams that play and uh very 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 interesting and they do bring in some u.s imports uh to play in the teams there are a couple corporate sponsored teams which seem to win season and season out uh, very fascinating to, to to read about and to follow. So uh, I thought that was thought that was pretty interesting. Ooh. And uh, the huh. movie the movie of the trip uh, as uh, flying on Delta, they have a pretty good selection of movies. Was yeah. the Kurt Warner story? Uh, the movie, uh, great great movie about him and his uh, ability yeah. to be very successful in the arena league and then play that into the success with the Rams and playing for several other teams, including the Cardinals. Uh, great, great story. Just great, great story. Yeah. Great guy. Um, I wish there were more Kurt Warners in the NFL. That's all I can say. Yeah. But, yeah. But I can't believe you weren't uh, – Spreading the gospel of American football throughout uh, Eastern Europe. Nah, it's uh, <laughs> it's still very much soccer territory. Um, oh yeah. They and uh, they they are in some cases really into basketball at the same time, which I find interesting. But soccer st- hmm. is, is still the uh, the big sport. If, you, if the uh, the few TV stations that we had on the cruise uh, in the uh, in the room. Uh, there was one sports station, basically it was just uh, cricket, soccer, and uh, a handful of, of uh, local basketball teams, and that was it. So pretty interesting. Very interesting. But in any event, a couple of things before we get started with our main topic tonight. Uh, National Sports Collectors Convention in Chicago will be going on uh, roughly up. seven weeks from tomorrow. Uh, actually, six and a half weeks, and um, looking forward to going out there. I know you've got other plans. You're not going to be there, but it'll be nice to see yeah. Uh, yeah. friends Sadly. and uh, people from the hobby that I haven't seen in uh, a couple of years and uh, get, get back in touch with them and see what's going on with the hobby. I am bracing myself for the onslaught of the backpack collectors, uh, with their little suitcases of graded cards and everywhere. Sample, sample and, everywhere. Yep. and you've seen the samples and, of uh, the per- yep. <laughs> The perennial question, are you buying, do you want to trade? And then hand me <laughs> a card that I have, I have no clue who or what it is or why it would be worth that much money and get a stare, stared look expression back when I say I have no clue who this person is or what card this is and why it's so expensive. Ooh. But sorry, I'm not interested in yeah. it. Yeah. 
And that's a totally funny. But in any event, while I was away, uh, you you had a, a pretty major event go on uh, that I think uh, was very unique, uh, more like a once in a lifetime deal. And I want you yeah. to lead off tonight and let's begin our conversation on what happened. Give us some background on it. Yeah, and it's kind of still fresh in my memory. I wrote a, I just uh, hit send on an article for for Gridiron Greats. Uh, sent it off to the, to, you know, uh, you you the publisher, and so it was it was fun. And uh, I think I've mentioned to our listeners we have a, a, a our a, a football text thread, you know, between us, you know, nerd collectors that uh, you know in, enjoys some good banter, you know, from time to time, um, but. Uh, uh, Pre-COVID, right before COVID, my my uh, wife and I were at a Ronald McDonald House uh, auction. We uh, were pretty involved with Ronald McDonald House. Uh, my wife is on the board there, and uh, we went to uh, Ronald McDonald House helps uh, kids with cancer who need you know treatments, and they offer a free room and board to the kid and uh, and the family during treatment. So it's a really really good cause. Um, mm-hmm. We were at an auction of theirs, and I looked at what the auction items were and one of the auction items were uh, a hall of fame dinner and that hall of fame dinner was with uh dan fouts and other hall of fame you know ex-football players they called it and a chance to have uh all of them and 14 guests seven couples plus uh five hall of fame or you know for hall of fame football players at a dinner at one dinner and Stacy, my wife, pointed out to me, and I just remember my eyes got big, and it's like, oh, my. Uh, and, you know, it's just like in auctions, there are must-win things, and there are, you know, I wouldn't mind this thing. This became a we-have-to-have-it. And it was pre-COVID, so I don't remember. I mean, it was a while ago, so I don't remember if it was a paddle raise or if it's something that got bid on. But I believe it was a paddle raise at a certain amount, and then they kept going. So we were happy enough to raise our paddle and win uh, a Hall of Fame dinner. Well, a global pandemic later, they uh, rescheduled. And obviously, if you're putting, you know, five professional football players, uh, retired players and their spouses together, the tail wags the dog. So it was uh, about three months ago, we got a, you know, hey, in uh, in late May, we will be having this dinner in Bend, Oregon. You know, Bend is in the uh, eastern Oregon, the other side of the Cascade Mountains from Portland, where I live. Um, so it was just a, a really, you know, leading up to it, it's cool. I asked a couple people, what do you ask the Hall of Famers? And, and these were some Hall, you know, football players. I, Dan Fouts, obviously, is the one that I keep using. But he was the one I was excited to see. I grew up watching, you know, Fouts playing football and, you know, the Air Cor- era of the Air Coriel, et cetera. Um, uh, Drew Bledsoe was there, uh, you know, famously uh, starting quarterback, you know, uh, you know, for the Patriots, the Cowboys. Had a stint with the Buffalo Bills in there. Uh, Ken Rudiger was there. Uh, Gary Zimmerman, and then a, a, a gentleman I, I didn't know about, a name Kevin Boss, and he was a tight end for the uh, for the Giants. And if you take all those names, yep. uh, there were you know two Hall of Fame jackets in there with uh, Zimmerman and Fouts. Uh, excuse me, uh, no, Rudiger isn't a, a Hall of Fame winner. And then uh, four Super Bowl rings. Uh, Bledsoe had one carrying a clipboard. 
uh, for the Patriots. Uh, you know, backed up to Brady. He was he started that year in 2001, got injured. Brady came in, but then Brady got injured, and it took Bledsoe in the AFC Championship to get him into the Super Bowl. Uh, Zimmerman won one with the Broncos, uh, and uh, Boss won one with the Giants, and Zimmerman had a Hall of Fame jacket and a Super Bowl ring with the Broncos. Uh, so in that room were four Super Bowl rings and two Hall of Fame jackets. It was pretty cool. Um, it was just, yeah, it, it was it was cool. My wife, Stacy, wasn't able to make it, so we ended up taking my son, Xander, uh, and he spent quite a bit of the evening calling me a fanboy and making fun of me, you know, because as I got around Dan Fouts, <laughs> it, it, it was, wow. you know, hey, I, you know, Dan, I'm a huge fan, I, you know, I, you know, I remember watching you as a kid, which is kind of a weird thing to say, you know, but I'm sure he gets it a lot. You know, I loved you watching you throw to John Jefferson, you know, JJ and, you know, Kellen Winslow and Charlie Joyner, Chuck Muncie, you know, I just started rattling off names and he's like, oh my, okay. You know, yeah, you know your stuff. And uh, it just started talking about football and we, you know, stood there for about 20 minutes talking before it broke into another event and, uh, you know, broke into another Thing. You know, they had a Q&A. It was, it was, it was very interesting, and I'm, I'm getting excited talking about it, just remembering it and how, how cool it was. Well, the blend of the players there, to me, is great. Yeah. You know, obviously, geographically, because, you know, all those guys are obviously located in that general area there. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a neat mix of players, number one. I really... I've always felt, and I, I'm a little uh, biased because I saw Bloodstone play with the Patriots when, A, the Patriots weren't that great. I also saw Bloodstone yeah. go down with the injury, and I saw Brady come on. And I did see that AFC championship game where Bloodstone won it for the Patriots, and then, uh, you know, Brady came back, blah, blah, blah. And I always yeah. felt, he, you know, <laughs> He was a good quarterback, and I think if he had a little more tools to work with, you know, he could have had a very, very strong career and probably another Super Bowl ring with one of the other teams that he played with, but that never happened. Yeah. Uh, but I think he found a lot of peace over the years knowing he accomplished a lot as a player. So I always thought that was really cool about him. And I know I, I followed him more after – his career with his wine uh, vineyard, uh, since Brenda yeah. and I are both into wines, and, and I and I always look for celebrities uh, who are, who you know may have a vineyard or vested interest in a particular yeah. wine, so on and so forth. And uh, on my bucket list, besides the Washington down to San Diego trip out on the West Coast, there I would like to hit his uh, vineyard. And uh, if there was any way that he was around that day, I would love to just say hi to him and get a picture taken with him. But anyways, uh, that's a great mix of players. I mean, wow. Yeah. That is is incredible, in my opinion. Yeah, and before I went, I I looked each player up, did a little, just to, you know, just to refresh the memory, you know, playing years and, uh, you know, I mean, and just like you mentioned, it was an, a, a really cool mix of players. And, uh, I knew Drew Bledsoe had his winery in Walla Walla, you know, because we've, you know, checked that out. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I knew Dan Fouts went to Oregon. Uh, he was a duck. Uh, but what I didn't realize is he lived in Eastern Oregon. He lived in Sisters, which is right by Bend. 
Um, and the one commonality is all of these gentlemen grew up in Oregon or live in Oregon now. All of them live in Oregon. Uh, Drew Bledsoe lives in Bend. He grew up in, you know, in uh, you know, in Walla Walla, but he, you know, in his wineries there. But he lives in Bend. Uh, Dan Fouts lives in Sisters, which is right by Bend. Uh, Rudiger now lives in Bend. He's uh, he got his PhD in psychology, and he wor- he works at a college there as an instructor. Um, it was just uh, you know uh, Kevin Boss, you know the tight end for the Patriots, uh, you know went to Oregon State, you know in Corvallis in Southern Oregon, uh, and now he owns mm-hmm. a uh, fitness. of how they all knew each other and how, you know, how that group came together. Um, and it was also really cool to just start, you know, you know, going through players' histories again and going, oh, my gosh, I forgot about that. You know, I ended up down these rabbit holes where I'm watching a, you know, you know 40-minute ESPN documentary about the uh, 81, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Chargers losing in the AFC Championship to the Bengals excuse me, the 80, you know, right. how they deserved that ring, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember that. I remember watching that game, but I forgot how talented they were and how, how stacked they were. And then the next year got blown up with John Jefferson and Fred Dean leaving, um, you know, and, uh, and it was just cool. So I came locked and loaded with quite a few questions and uh, I wasn't sure how, how the, what the format was. So, I had group questions and I had individual questions. And then as it turns out, they, uh, you know, there's a little bit of mingling before the dinner. Uh, you know, so I, that's when I came up to, you know, to Dan Fouts and I'm a huge fan. And then, and then, you know, after about, you know, 10 minutes of that, they went to this uh, Q and a where we all stood around in this room and uh, the executive director of Ronald McDonald house and Ben uh, did a Q and a where she would, would ask a question of the group and then it'd go around, you know, what, you know, what do you enjoy about retirement? What was the first thing you did, you know, et cetera. And uh, that was kind of cool. And then, you know, after the Q and a, they opened the, they opened it up for, uh, you know, all right, any group room, there's this two second pause. I'm like, yep, I'm going for it. And I raised my hand. And uh, uh, the first group question I wanted was, uh, you know, who's that player? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're all professionals. The, you know, the NFL is professionals. I mean, who's that player, you know, that, you know, you know, that was amazing, even at the professional level, that, that player that you'd better know where they were on every single play. And, uh, you know, that, that was really impressive to you. I mean, you know, and I threw out a name. I'm like, was it Bo Jackson? You know, that, that Bo Jackson kind of player. Uh, and, uh, you know, Fouts, who was opposite me, went first. And he was like, uh, you know, that was, you know, that was Lawrence Taylor to me. He came in, you know, you know, four years after I came in the league, but Lawrence Taylor, he's like, he was ungodly fast. He was strong as hell. He could, you know, grab you by the sleeve. He could throw you to the ground. Phone out. I was trying to take, you know, notes for little things to, you know, to remind me for the article later. And uh, what, what he said was really impressive. He's like, Every, every team has, you know, by, you know, how is professional. Every team has good players, whether that's Howie Long, uh, you know, you know, whatever. Um, and he's like, but no matter what, you better know where number 56 was. He's like, every single play, you better know where 56 was. You better keep him in the line of sight. 
And he's like, that, that's what I liked about my backpedal drop. He's just like, I could keep an eye on him. But he's like, he hit me so hard. He goes, it, 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 it was, it would just, it was, it hurt. I mean, you know, he's like, he, he was undoubtedly yeah, like, fast. And, that, and that's in the days where, you know, defense actually tackled the quarterback yeah. and, you know, uh, totally uh, agitated the quarterback with what they, you know, how they went on him type of thing. And uh, totally. it was a whole different game. And I could I could see how Fouts, you know, really had a you know, had his hands full every time he played against Taylor because Taylor in the beginning yeah. part of his career, his first few years, he was he was yeah. incredible on the field. He really was. A dis and, a disruptor. Um, yeah. Wow. You know, and then I mentioned to Mike, you know, in the, you know, NFL stuff, the top one hundred players, you know, he was voted as number two player, you know, behind Jerry Rice. Uh you know, I've kind right. of brought that up and and then uh, somebody else seconded that, and as it came around the horn, Drew Bledsoe mentioned he's like uh, Reggie White was the greatest player I saw. He's like, you know, Reggie was that R- R- Reggie. He's like, he he hit me so hard my rookie year. He said I saw stars, um, and uh, and uh, w- which I thought was pretty funny. And he goes, uh, you know, my first year, my rookie, or he goes, uh, my, he goes when I went to, when we went to the Super Bowl. He's like, but he was a nice guy. And I go, yeah, the Ministry of Defense, Minister of Defense. And he goes, uh, in, the, in, my super, in the Super Bowl that he went to where, you know, they lost uh, to, uh, uh, the Packers, you know, where they lost to, to, to the Packers, he goes, he sacked me twice in a row. Uh, yeah. And the first time he sacked me, he's like, you know, he, he leaned down to pick me up. God bless. God bless you. And he's like, so he was so nice. But man, he hit me hard. He's like he sacked me twice in a row, <laughs> and in a huddle, I'm like, can someone keep an eye on Reggie, please? Uh, and then you know, Ken kind of you know seconded that, and uh, it was that that was interesting to hear who the professional among men was. Uh, it was pretty interesting, you know. That's a, that's really uh, that's really amazing, and you know, guys like that. Again, because they played in a different era and they played in a different time, they they appreciate their fans first and foremost. But yeah. more importantly, they do like the re, you know the real reflection on their career, not you know just uh, you know how'd you do this? Uh, why'd you sign your last contract for X amount of dollars? Blah blah blah. Why'd they cut you? Blah blah blah. Well, not none of that. You know, you you the, these guys are all established players. They all yeah. were very, very good at what they did. They reached yeah. uh, the, the Super Bowl several times. They have the rings, two Hall of Famers. Hey, you couldn't ask for anything more in, in, a, in a group of players like that, especially from that geographical area. It's kind of cool to see and, and, to, and to read about. And, and your article really expresses that very, very nicely with regards to, you know, they, they gave genuine answers to what you're asking them. And it, it, it to me it would make the whole evening even more meaningful because you had such sincerity on the part of the players there. You know what I'm saying? Which I'm sure you you, you saw immediately there. You know, I did. Yeah, that type of yeah. Thing. That that impressed me too. Was everybody was sincere? But uh, as it came around to Bledsoe, you know, and he brought up, you know, Reggie White, um, Dan Fouts kind of interjected. I, I thought this was funny. Is like, 
I don't mean to, I don't mean to, uh, I forget how he said it. Uh, you know, I, I don't mean to diminish, you know, Reggie White, but he's like, if, uh, right. you know, if, uh, if Lawrence Taylor did to me on the street, what he did to me on the playing field, he would have been arrested for assault. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. everybody laughed. And then he goes, and yeah. also, yeah. it was a different era than, you know, kind of what you mentioned. He goes, if Lawrence Taylor did to quarterbacks now what he did to me on every single play back then, he would he would be suspended. He's like, it's a different game. Right. He's like, he's like right. Reggie right. White was grabbing people, throwing them to the ground, in the grass. He's like, what was a normal day at the office back then of me getting manhandled? Now, you know, there are rules around it. He's like, so, it, you know, right. I mean, I'm, you know, basically it was like, I'm not diminishing, well, you know, Reggie White sacked you and hurt you. But back then, Lawrence Taylor put his helmet down and aimed for your shoulder blades. Yep. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. You know, it, it was a completely different game, and because you know, quarterbacks are, you know, for lack of a better way of explaining it, very much coddled now because they are the stars of the team. They're one. They're the ones getting the big bucks. And I can guarantee you, the insurance policies today on a lot of players is written very differently than it was in the early '80s or up through the '90s, uh, where you know they're probably not paying for certain injuries that they know that the other player can actually. Uh, inflict upon them based upon their play, you know. So you're right. A Lawrence Taylor today would never be able to play. He'd be suspended most of the time. Reggie White would have a, a lot more difficulty doing what he what he was best at. And you know, Reggie White really never never disliked anybody. He just went out there and it was a job for him. He played his game. He he wanted to win. He played as hard as he could. He was a very very uh, a man of a deep faith. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's the opposite of what you expect a player, uh, you know, who's juiced up on uh, 12 cups of coffee before he goes out on the field and is ready to kill somebody. You know what I'm saying? So uh, yeah. it, it's right. a, di- a different game today, really different game. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. When they made it around to Rutgers, he mentioned DeMarcus Ware. Uh, which I, I I thought you know you know our our fellow VFC you know uh, you know moderator Steve would appreciate so you know the Demarcus Ware fan and I'm like okay interesting yeah uh, how's he even mentioned he's like, he's like I only had to play you know Lawrence Taylor you know every other year you know if I was you know if I was unlucky but you you know he just he's that guy who made a made a difference uh, you know because AFC NFC. Um, and at some point, as I mentioned, Fausten said every every team has a good player, whether that's you know, uh, you know Howie Long or Jack Lambert. So after everybody's finished, Mike, you know, hey Dan, you uh, you mentioned Howie Long. You know, I you know who do you think was a better actor, Howie Long and Broken Arrow, or you and Waterboy? Uh, <laughs> which you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it goes back to that theme of you know football players in movies and you know you know in uh, movies or you know TVs. Uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. Uh, and then after, after after that, we were kind of moved over to our tables, and I was seated with uh, Drew Bledsoe. Xander and I were seated with Drew Bledsoe. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, so we had our meal with Drew Bledsoe. So we're, you know, you know, uh, you know, five tables, one for each Hall of Famer, and then, you know, four of us, you know, fans were placed at each table. Uh, 
I found him to be incredibly fascinating. What a nice guy. I, I didn't know a lot about him. Um, you know, Patriots, you know, I, you know, watched him on the Cowboys a lot, but, uh, you know, I, I asked him if he, you know, you know, if it was kind of a, an inside joke that he, uh, he trained two of the, two of the best quarterbacks. And he said, yes, my friends called me the quarterback whisperer, uh, which I thought was a great way to phrase <laughs> yep. it. So obviously he, obviously he'd, he'd heard that before. Um, and then yep. he started getting, he's like, Tom Brady and I are still good friends. He's like, the guy was amazing. He was a great collaborator. I could tell immediately he was smart. Uh, he was like, it was just such a, such a good, he was such a good person to train with. He goes, I didn't feel bad about losing my job to him. He's like, I was probably, his, his I forget his phrasing, but he's like, it probably wasn't a very good professional move on my part to teach him so much, to be so open to training. But he's like, it was the right thing to do. Uh, right. Um, right. And that came across to me as so kind and so humble. Uh, it, it, was, it was just cool. I mean, you're training, you're, you're helping to make your competitor better. And like it or not, you know, the backup quarterback is your competition, you know. Right. Uh, but, so, you know, to me, Bloodstone always represented a, a true team player. And because, uh, you know, he got beat up in New England when Brady took over, you know, all the naysayers started saying, oh, he's, he's washed up, he's not a good, good player, so on and so forth. Well, I always disagreed with that. It, Brady was a better player than him, but Drew could play with a lot of other teams and be the number one quarterback. You know what I'm saying? And uh, unfortunately, he really never had that opportunity. He did have opportunities, obviously, with the Cowboys and the Bills, but there were much different opportunities than what he had with with uh, with uh, New England. And I'm just curious, and I'm sure he never brought anything up. I wonder what his relationship was with Belichick uh, in uh, the Patriots organization. Huh. I didn't, I didn't ask him that. Uh, I, I asked him what it was like to be the number one overall draft pick, you know, in the NFL, you know, in, uh, you know, when, when he was drafted. And uh, he just, he kind of shrugged that off. He's like, you know, I was too young because I was, you know, I, was, I was so young. He goes, I just, I remember that because I, I was just, I was too young. I was too young to appreciate it. And he's like, but looking back on it, it's, it's a pretty honorable thing. It's pretty cool. Um, right. And uh, I reminded them, like, the Seahawks had the number two pick that year, and they ended up picking Rick Meyer. Uh, and I'm like, you know, if if the Patriots had picked Rick Meyer and you ended up in Seattle, you know, would that have been cool to be, a, a you know, from Washington State, playing for, you know, Washington State Cougars and then get drafted by Seattle? And he's like, that would have been about as cool as it gets, would be a – you know, a homestead. Exactly. And he's like, you know, Rick and, and I are not still good friends, you know, which I thought was cool. I, I, kind of, I kind of never understood that draft in a way as to why Seattle just wouldn't swap it off one for two and just come right out and say, hey, we want, you know, we want uh, Drew for the local, you know, the local stuff, the local flavor, so on and so forth. We'll give you a number two and and the number two pick, and then you could have mirror. Uh, you know that that would have been very very interesting to see how that mm. would have played out. And I'm wondering if, if Bloodsville would you know really led 
the Seahawks at that time to, you know, greater, uh, greater victories or whatever, because, you know, hometown boy doing good, blah, 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 playing in front of a, a home crowd. That would have been a cool, cool scenario. Obviously that never happened. So, you know, the rest is history. And, and then I guess Drew's place in football history was to teach Brady uh, to help him become, you know, one of the, one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history type of thing. Uh, even though, in my opinion, yeah. he, you know, he he hung around a little too too long at the end, but you know, he had something to prove to himself the first year with the Bucks. But you know, last season was yeah. not the way you want to end your career. But then again, it's Brady, so you know, what's the difference, type of thing. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that, that's real interesting. Robo, now, did you know? Did you know beforehand who you were going to sit with that night for the dinner? No, we didn't, and I, I could have okay. ended up okay. at any table. We it wasn't assigned okay. seating. We basically walked into a tented area out and out on a patio, and there were the tables. And I went went up to a table to see if it was assigned seating, and 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 uh, I looked over, and the Dan Fouts Dan Fouts sat at the table, and a bunch of people sat down next to him. And uh, I kind of looked around, and uh, right then Bledsoe came up and sat down, you know, you know, next to a seat that I had my hand on looking for name tags. So just out of habit, okay. I, I just, you know, because it would be weird to turn around and walk away from that then. But right, right, right. I, uh, right, right. I uh, yeah, basically sat down next to him. And uh, what a classy guy. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he, he mentioned he went on to Buffalo and, uh, well, he kind of skipped that. He goes, and at Dallas, you know, Tony Romo was the same. He was just an amazing person, great insight in film. And he was, he's like, it was just great collaborating. He goes, actually, my pit stop in Buffalo, which I'd absolutely forgotten about that he had two years in Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He goes, yeah. their quarterback there, J.P. Lossman, he goes, he was he was a know-it-all. He goes, he's, he's the one person, you know, that – you know, he, he's, he's, he's like, uh, he was not pleasant to play with. He's like, one of the best yeah. days of my career was leaving Buffalo. Yeah, I, I always uh, had heard that he had a rough time up there, and uh, he was not happy there at all. So it worked out well for him to get out of there. And Dallas was a much better organization than the Bills at the time. And uh, Romo was a much uh, classier quarterback uh, to work with and deal with at the same time. You know, and again, I, I've always said this: there, uh, a guy in the NFL can make a, a great career out of being a backup quarterback, playing a handful of games in your career, yeah. but making sure you walk off, uh, walk onto the field off the bench, and you lead your team to victory, or you you do whatever you need to do uh, to keep your team in contention, so on and so forth. And again, I, I you know, I, I I wouldn't mind you know really creating a discussion question who do you really think is the best backup around you know over the years that you know for each Ooh. year who's the best backup quarterback type of thing oh, interesting yeah good point yeah you know uh, to I me know. to me drew was drew was a good backup quarterback i don't care what anybody says you know and he was a good well, quarterback in the beginning it was a good start and starting uh, like i said too. he had a he, he, if he had more tools and uh, you know had a, had a better line, they would have they would have gone much further. But you know, then they did go into the you know they did play in the Super Bowl, uh, but you know it, it just didn't happen for him. Type of thing. You know, they ended up yeah. losing, and that was it. Switching well, gears to Zimmerman, 
Go ahead. Go ahead if you had. Oh, I was going to say what was also interesting. What was also interesting when I was looking things up is uh, how many of those players had crossover. So, for example, you know, Ken Rutgers with Green Bay won Super Bowl 31 against Bledsoe. Uh, you know, the one he was talking about, where Reggie White sat in so hard. It was just, it was interesting the different you know, players who crossed paths in there, you know, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, pretty cool. Um, it, you know, but, you know, they, you know, a lot of them, you know, they didn't know each other then, but they got to know each other after they retired just all in that community. Right. Um, right. I, 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 I think the most interesting thing was hearing them talk, you know, like at one point they started talking about injuries and, you know, little stuff like, uh, you know, Ken Rutgers was, he, he was, you know, Drew, Dan Faust looked good. He looks like he had actually lost weight. He looked slim. He didn't walk with a limp or anything. Uh, he'd skinned down, you know, Ken Rutgers walked with a severe limp. Um, uh, Gary Zimmerman looked a little, you know, beat up too. You know, Bledsoe looked in good shape. And, you know, Kevin Boss looked in good shape. Even He, he only played for five years. But of them all, you know, Ken, you know, Ken Rutgers and Zim, you know, was in the worst shape and Zimmerman was a couple steps behind him and they were both offensive tackles, uh, which wow. I, which I wow. thought was interesting. It made, made me start to wonder if, you know, being on the O-line was actually harder than I always thought, you know, uh, Gary, Gary Zimmerman. Well, to me, to me, you got to remember on an offensive line, your, your point of contact, every play. Uh, unless yeah. you're, you know, unless the play breaks open immediately, and then you, then you're just jogging down the field type of thing. But your your point of contact that that's a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, abuse on your body uh, for a lot of games, especially if you play for quite a few years. You know what I mean? I mean, today in the NFL, you know, we we know how many guys turn over every year. I mean, it's incredible. But uh, yeah. it's it's you know tough tough to play. You know. 15, 20 seasons, it's it's really unheard of for uh, both defensive line and offensive line players. Oh, yeah. You know? Totally. So, totally. you know, that's a big difference. Get, getting back to uh, get, making a point about Zimmerman, did Zimmerman say anything about um, going uh, from Minnesota to Denver? Did he mention anything, uh, a change in his uh, outlook going to Denver, knowing <laughs> that he had a chance to – to play in the, you know, uh, at a better uh, level, so on and so forth? He did, yeah. I, I mean, that, that was probably my reality check of the night was, uh, you know, Eric Stang is a member of VFC, and he, you know, he's a huge Minnesota fan. So I went up to Zimmerman, right. and I'm like, right. you know, I've, I've got some friends who are huge Minnesota fans and, uh, you know, huge fans of yours. And the that was the first bit of, negativity of the night and even you know uh, was Zimmerman started talking about the Vikings uh, and even though it was negative he still said it in a good light I mean as weird as that is he's like yeah uh, you know Minnesota was a tough place to play he's like the the owners because I never met the owners uh, which you know he goes I was drafted he goes uh, I was drafted in the USFL obviously he goes I met my owners there and he goes I went to Minnesota and uh, you know, it was kind of owned by a couple people because I never saw them. It was all through the GM, but right, right. like to them, 
you know, to them, the, the team was a moneymaker. He goes, they didn't care about the people. They didn't care about it. Uh, he goes, there were timers on the lights, on the lights. So he's like, if you got there early, you had to sit in darkness or by the nightlights. And he's like, there were timers on the showers. You could only take two-minute showers oh, to save money on hot water. Uh, he's like, we needed a new field, a, practice, a new, new turf for the practice field once, and we were all – you know, you know, asking for it, and the comment from the owners was, "It's cheaper to get new players than it is to replace the field." Uh, and he's like, "That, that, wow. those kind of wow. that wow. kind of attitude really trickles down to the players where there's not a lot of effort." He's like, "So the best day of my career was getting traded to Denver." He's like, yeah. But, yeah. "He goes, I felt bad for the people I left behind in Minnesota." He's like, "They've never won a Super Bowl." And they haven't they haven't been successful in the playoffs, you know, since the '70s. And he's like, it's hard not to believe it's it's because of the culture there, and just the right. indifference right. they have towards the players. And he's like, at Denver, I met the owner. The owner invited me out to lunch my first day. We're happy to see you, John Elway was a leader. He's like, and you know, we immediately were playoff contenders, and I want a ring there. Uh, and he's like, but just the culture difference between. The teams, he's like, I, I you know, and I'm like, I, I think you're in the ring of honor at, at Minnesota. He's like, I don't think I am, but if they made me in the ring of honor, I probably wouldn't show up. Uh, it was just, it was, it was interesting because I, I just, I kind of always considered it to be a privilege to work, you know, to play for an NFL team, and I never really, I, I guess, I assumed all owners would be appreciative of their players. Uh, you know, they, maybe Not things have changed Not in 20 all. years. Yeah, it was interesting, you know? And, I, yeah. and you know, the one thing, you know, I, I know I'm biased toward the Packers, you know, being a shareholder, being a fan of the Packers all my life. But, yeah. they're, you know, the owners are the fans, basically, the couple hundred thousand people that actually own shares of stock, people like myself, you know, who are willing totally. to donate to, you know, an NFL team to keep them going, blah, blah, blah. And... I know a lot of guys who played for the Packers who've come right out and say it was one of the nicest places we ever played in, uh, not yeah. so much during the 70s and 80s, even though Bart Starr was quarterback for a while, I mean, uh, coach for a while, uh, but because of the board of directors had a lot of issues, it did trickle down with the, you know, what I call the dark ages of the Packers there when they, they really did nothing until uh, Mike Holbrook came on and, and started to really boom yep. around the team and and, and uh, yeah. you know changes in the front office so on and so forth. But uh, you know, no, not every NFL team is uh, Nirvana there, you know, at all. Uh, you know, Jerry Jones was an active uh, owner, but he's also yeah, good. Yeah, he's with the guys. He, he talks to them. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, Broncos is a good example. I know the new Vikings order, uh, owners uh, owner now is much more proactive and trying to make amends uh, with what what have happened over the years. Um, you look at a team like the Detroit Lions who've never done anything for how many years since the fifties. Uh, you know, I don't know what what their owners are thinking. I don't know what they're doing. They can't win. You know what I mean? Uh, they had one of the greatest running backs around, but what happened? Not much. Yep. yep. You know, Sanders never won the big game for him. Type of thing. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting. Interesting. I'm surprised we don't hear more about that, but I think it's it's almost like the unspoken word in in the 
in the NFL. You're working for bad owners or a bad coach. You're not going to let on about it in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And I wonder what a lot of people say about coaching and coaches. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've always heard so many different things about Belichick. But to me, you know, his program works because the guy wins all the time. Not lately, but, you know, in his heyday, you know, if you went to the Patriots, you knew you had a good shot of being in the you Super Bowl and, and winning, yeah. uh, winning a ring type. A media so, contender, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the group questions I wanted to ask was what's, what's more important, a Hall of Fame jacket or a Super Bowl ring? And okay. uh, because I didn't get a chance to do it in the group Q&A, um, after dinner, I, we kind of bumped into Dan Fouts again. Uh, Dan, Dan Fouts was with uh, Rutgers and Zimmerman. And uh, so I, I asked Fouts that. He's like, well, you know, I, I, I never, you know, got a Super Bowl ring. And he's like, we came, you know, we, I never went to Super Bowl. We came close, but we couldn't get it done. He's like, you know, a Hall of Fame, you know, is an individual accomplishment. One person goes to the Hall of Fame, one person gets a jacket. He goes, even though it's obviously a very team, and he goes, I wouldn't be a Hall of Famer without the wide receiving core that I had, or Eric Correale, right. my coach. And he's like, uh, or as a Super Bowl ring is a very team-centric thing. The team gets the ring, everybody on the team, all the way down to the trainers. He's like, so everyone is excited. And he's like, you know, Hall of Fame is five years later, and he's like, there's one person in this room who has them both, and that's Gary Zimmerman. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I knew that from researching prior, but it was kind of cool. And Zimmerman was out of ear range. He was about 10 feet away from us. And it just kind of – it was kind of cool for, you know, for even Fouts to acknowledge that, uh, you know. And I, I don't know if most people realize I'm a big guy. I'm 6'5", you know, you know, 285. And I asked for a photo with uh, – you know, with Gary Zimmerman and, and Ken Rutgers. And, uh, so I stood between them. Both of those guys are bigger than me. Ken Rutgers is probably 6'7". Zimmerman's probably 6'6", six, six, you know. And I stood between them. And uh, I'm, I'm one of those people usually, you know, puts my arms over someone's shoulders. But they were taller than me, so I couldn't do it. Uh, and I didn't know what to do with my hands. And as they were, you know, as my son was getting ready to take the picture, I'm kind of trying to figure out what to do with my arms. So I just kind of rested them across my, my stomach. <laughs> and then I laughed. I saw that. I, I told him, like, uh, I, I just kind of laughed. I'm like, guys, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not used to, uh, you know, not knowing what to do with my hands, you know, my arms during a picture like this. But you, you guys are big boys. <laughs> yeah, Which, yeah. You know, yeah, made them laugh. It was, uh Yeah. It was it was such a cool evening, and I I, I don't fanboy out very much. That, Xander called me a fanboy after watching me, you know, glom on the Dan Fouts across the room, uh, which was kind of funny. But it was uh, it was it was such a cool evening, and it was so cool to be around some of the players that you just you knew about. And it was also really really cool for me to 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 beef up on a lot of history of some of these players. Like I. I knew who Ken Rutgers was. I knew he was in the Hall of Fame. Or, 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 excuse me, in the, uh, you know, I knew he won a Super Bowl, but I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't, or back off, I knew, you know, uh, won a Super Bowl. I didn't know a lot about him. And I, I spent probably, yeah. he was the one who was most fascinating to me. Um, 
I, I, uh, I spent a lot of time kind of diving in and, uh, you know, looking at his history. So same with Zimmerman. Uh, and it was just, it was, it was cool to refresh my memory on Fouts, you know, a childhood hero. It was really cool to learn yeah. more about Rutgers and Zimmerman. And it was really cool to sit down and have a conversation with Bledsoe. Like, I, I, I put this in the article, but I asked him what his first day of retirement was. It was like, I mean, you spend, you know, you, you, you spend, uh, you know, 13 years showing up to training camp plus four years of college or three years of college plus, you know, uh, you know, you know, plus whatever high school. You, you spent half of your life showing up to training camp, and then one day, uh, you know, when you would normally be showing up to training camp, you just don't. And I said, uh, what, what was that like, and what did you do? And uh, he's like, uh, you know, yeah, I haven't been asked that in a long time. And he's like, uh, you know, he goes, we have a house in Montana. And he goes, we were staying there, and, he, uh, you know, you know, for a week while training camp started, he goes, told my wife I was going fishing, but he's like, I actually just went in the boat and I rode out to the middle of the lake and he goes, I cried. He's like, cause I knew that was the yeah. end of it. He goes, I, I knew I, I, I knew that was it, you know? We've always said this, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough game to walk away from because, you know, there's something really rejuvenating yeah. to walk out in front of a crowd of 70,000 screaming fans on, yeah, a, totally. you know, Thursday night or a Sunday or a Monday yeah. night and, and just yep. listen to yeah, it, take it all in, take the, you know, the just the spectacle of the entire game process, the game day process, the, the game itself is almost insignificant. Because the whole process getting there and and then how you play is is just just one long segment of a day that you really never recover from uh, for quite a while after you retire. And I've heard that from a lot of former totally. players. You know, it's it's rough to retire. Well, yeah, I get it. You know, and I I can see why. But, you know, and uh, it's not like in the old days where they always had a second jab. And they knew when they retired, they were just going to go to the second job full time and, and just, totally. you know, continue to live their lives and that's it. So, totally. uh, you know, play, players today being just playing football and not doing anything else with their lives have a much, in my opinion, a much more difficult time uh, transitioning back into regular, you know, regular work or regular society or whatever the case might be. Yeah, it was a very human moment you know, for the people that we watch on TV for years, uh, it, it definitely put a human touch to him where he's like, yeah, and I just cried. And, and it was just, uh, and you, yeah, I mean, I thought that was really cool and very honest of him to say. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. All in all, and I think, I think those, it, five, those five guys are very much, were down to earth players that, you know, they were not, you know, glamour players. They went out, they did their job. Uh, you know, they didn't mouth off. Uh, they weren't in the, you know, in face of the media all the time, blah, 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 mouthing off. They, they were just normal guys playing football. And um, I think it, it worked to a certain degree for Bledsoe in New England. Uh, because, again, I, I mean, I, I watched the guy literally his entire career in New England. Uh, and I still remember the game. Uh, he got injured and Brady came on. I, I could, could remember that like yesterday. And, uh, you know, he was, he was a pretty, very calm, down-to-earth guy. 
You know, he wasn't a you know a media darling in any way, shape, or form. He got, he, got, he, got, he was asked a question, he gave an answer. That was it. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. So uh, a different time, mm. to say the least. But, yeah, uh, and you know what? I'm, you know what, re- what was really nice about the event too is the dinner kicked ass. I mean, they had these scallops, and they came with a steak with Bernier sauce, and uh, the dessert, which was this chocolate creme brulee, was amazing. I'd never had it. It came out, it was dark, and I'm like, I love creme brulee, but I, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Amazing. The food was amazing. Yeah, so just a, a nice touch. So Good. my next goal Good. is to find That's out where Dan Fouts lives and sisters and to, and to stalk him. <laughs> well, to me, I think it was. Bump uh, I think it was just a, gr- a great evening yeah. for you and, and Xander, and I hope Xander one day will reflect back when he gets older and say, "Wow, I can't believe uh, who Dad and I uh, hung out with that night," uh, and, and and really put it in perspective as he gets yeah. older too. And I know you'll you'll always treasure that that time with your son uh, with. Uh, NFL players like that, and the, and the whole atmosphere yeah. of everything. Really, that, that's a great, great experience. I'm, I'm real happy for you. I'm glad you. I'm glad it happened for you. And I, I loved reading the article too. The article being the uh, national issue coming up uh, for Good Iron Greats. Great, great article. Really uh, exemplifies what I always felt about what the NFL should be, but sadly. The the bad of the NFL is what always gets magnified rather than the good, and uh, you know it's just the way it is, and that's it. I'm still curious. Totally. I've had a, a lot of people ask me lately, what what what's my prediction for Rodgers with the Jets, and I just tell them yeah, I really am not going to give any prediction, but I I think he really has to realize he's in a much different. Uh, venue playing now than he did in Green Bay. And uh, if he does not do well the first few weeks, it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be nice for him in any way, shape or form. So yeah. we shall see. We shall see. We shall see. But <laughs> the Jets haven't been done very good in the last, uh, you know, several years. And Rogers is not going to, uh, he, I, will he be able to move the needle? Will the Jets, yeah. you know, break 500 this year? Will they get nine wins? What's the over/under on that? Uh, I like I tell I, I told uh, two people in particular who I know are who are big Jets fans. I just said, Rogers is not Brett Favre in any way, shape, or form. I said Brett plays his, his heart out. Aaron plays to yeah. until he doesn't want to play anymore, and then that's the end of it. And that's it. So should be interesting. Should be interesting. Um, yeah. How, how do you feel about okay. that? Is there a little bit of schadenfreude there with Aaron Rodgers? You know, hey, don't let the door hit you in the ass. Or, hey, well, yeah. know, thanks I mean, for I, bringing know, up the Super Bowl ring, you know, kind of thing. Is, do you feel the, about the way Rodgers, the way I feel about Russell Wilson leaving Seattle? Well, I think I think Rodgers has always, always played to his own beat, which is fine. I can handle that. But, man, in big games, he, he did not come through. Um, he was man enough to say he didn't come through. But you know what? Those are the games you got to win. You won one big game in your career. You got one ring. 
Um, it, it got tiring at the end just to see the Packers aren't going to be in the Super Bowl this year. The Packers didn't win the NFC Championship game. The Packers didn't win the division playoff. I, there's, you know, I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. And, again, he, he, to me, was one of the biggest reasons why McCarthy got fired. I always liked Mike McCarthy. He's a player's coach. Uh, our new coach, you know, the boy, I call him the boy wonder. Everybody loves him. Uh, he's done so great. Well, he's never won the big game yet. So how, how many more years, you know, you can win in more games than Lombardi won or any other coach wins. But if you don't win the big game, what am I judging you on? You know, you're brought in. Yep. You're saying you got you can lead this team to victory. I want to see it. I haven't seen it. So, and it's still, I'm, I'm still uh, ticked off at him, too, because he's, uh, I wrote to him when he uh, got the coaching job. Every coach I've written to since um, before Holgram uh, has sent me a letter, uh, usually uh, personalized with their autograph, thanking me, you know, blah, 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 so on and so forth. And our new coach uh, never responded to any of the letters I wrote, and that's it. Mm. So I don't write to him anymore, and I'm, I'm not a not overly a big fan of him one way or the other. And, and again, I don't know why he broke that tr- tradition, uh, because we are shareholders of the of the team, you know, and uh, we support the team through thick and thin. But that's a topic for another podcast. I'm not gonna hmm. I'm not gonna rant on it with a couple minutes left in the in the show. <laughs> Any final thoughts about the dinner? We're down to our two minute warning. Now, what a as you mentioned, what a great opportunity. I hope that son of mine appreciates the the cool stuff he gets invited to. You know, I mean, you know. From uh, you know, you know, football dinners at nationals, being surrounded by you know footballers and great men, just rooms of you know a room with great men in it, uh, you know who you know look out for him. I just and I love that. I just uh, I'm pretty sure he will, but trust me, I will be reminding him <laughs> of just how good he's got it. So. One one day one day the uh, proverbial light bulb goes off and all will be well. So, uh, we'll he's a great kid. I I, I enjoyed our time uh, at the couple of dinners he was with us uh, at the national, yeah. and I loved watching him put the Legos together that time in Cleveland. Um, that was pretty cool. While we were trying to give him <laughs> football right. cards and at the and he, and he was, that's right. I, I had a big had a big wad of uh, seventy eight cups football. I handed to him, and he was just like he just like looked at me, you know. I said, and then I'm saying to myself, I don't think this was a good idea for me to do this. I should have just gotten some packs of uh, new stuff to open or whatever. But in any event, so the light bulb will go off, and that's it. All right, we're down to a minute. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, go to Iron Greats Magazine. What are you waiting for? Check out our website, IronGreatsMagazine.com. That's our show for this week. Next week, hope, next week, hopefully we'll be back. I'm working on three different guests. We just can't uh, align our times together, uh, but hopefully we're going to have some interesting guests coming up next week. Joe, final thought, 10 seconds. Uh, great to be back on the show, Bob. And we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Take care. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. 
Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.